It is good to be with you guys again, sharing another message. I want to just review for just a minute, in case you weren't here last week or forgot last week. Uh, We are doing a four-part message called uh, Restoration of Community. And Restoration of Community, it's a way to launch or kick off our 90 days of community. And, And like I said last week, 90 days of community doesn't mean that stopping a community after 90 days, uh, say, okay, community stuff is done, time to go back to being selfish. It's a, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a time of intentionally focusing on this whole idea of uh, community. And if you remember, last week I ended the message by saying that everybody here is going to put this into practice. Now, as a staff, we debated and talked and prayed for a long time, for most of spring, you know, how are we going to do this? And we thought of ideas where we sort of impose community on on everybody and, you know, match people up and hook people up and make everybody, force people to feel warm and fuzzy with each other. And, you know, that just didn't seem to really fit what, what, you know, seemed like the Holy Spirit was was leading in, and the Holy Spirit really wants uh, organic community, not just like organic foods, but like organic as in it, it's going to come naturally, not from church leadership imposing it on everybody, but everybody going to the Lord, directly asking God for direction, saying, God, how am I supposed to plug into community? How am I supposed to reach out? And, and I mentioned last week, that uh, for many of you, it's going to be an outreach beyond these four walls, beyond your comfort zone, beyond this particular gathered community. You know, and, and it could be with neighbors, could be with uh, community organizations, it could be uh, with uh, people who live nearby. Uh, it, it, it could be with uh, you know, deciding to volunteer with this or that organization that God put in your heart. Uh, a long time ago, you just haven't taken action on it. So it could be an outreach like that. It could also be an inreach, meaning uh, into uh, the lives of other people in this congregation. Maybe people you don't know so well, maybe people you know really well, uh, or maybe people you just haven't connected with for a long time. It might be you know somebody who sits on the opposite end of the of the sanctuary, and you know you just don't take the time to really get to know them. But it could be an inreach. And I just want to remind us, I've heard many people have shared their stories with me this week, uh, reminding me, you know, if somebody, if that person hadn't asked me to do such and such, I wouldn't be involved. Or if that, if those people hadn't invited me to, you know, have dinner with them, I wouldn't be involved right now. Uh, I, I wouldn't be plugged in. And I just want to remind you, that's the power of when you reach out, you, you think this isn't a big deal if I go shake hands with so-and-so, if I invite so-and-so over for dinner, if I give so-and-so a call, you think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. But it really is a big deal. There's, there's people here who are involved and plugged in in community who wouldn't be involved if someone else in here hadn't reached out and said, I, I, uh, I want to know you, come on over to my house, um, let's, let's get connected. So... So there's tremendous power. Now, 
if you're, you know, I, I revealed last week I was an introvert, and, and if you're an introvert too, and you're one of those people who is sitting there saying like, well, someone, I'm just going to wait for someone to freak out to me, and you just sit there by your phone, and you know, just, you know, and this whole summer goes by, and nobody calls you, and then at the end of summer you're bitter, and you're like, well, nobody called me, I guess, uh, I guess I can feel good about being bitter. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I want to challenge you to reach out. If you're one of the people who's sort of floating on the margins or, or uh, you're, you're kind of shy or you don't want to plug in, I, don't, don't wait for someone to reach out to you. You, you do it. And you might, you might be saying, well, that's not really me or I'm not really built or designed that way or I, 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 God, that's, that's too hard for me. Guess what? You actually were, we actually were designed to be in community. That's actually what you were made for. And... Not only that's what you were made for, that's actually what you were remade for in Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus actually, when he recreated you, he recreated you for his own community. So you actually, if you sit there and feel like, oh, I just, I just don't have it in me, it's not me, it's not natural to me to reach out. You know, like I said last week, it doesn't have to be something giant and dramatic. It could be, a, uh, it could be just uh, calling up somebody or, or going out of your comfort zone, shaking hands with somebody you don't quite know yet, but, but do it. Don't wait for someone to reach out for you and then, and then feel good about being bitter uh, that nobody reached out to you. Uh, you reach out, okay? You reach out. Um, and, you know, and, and every one of us, it doesn't matter, you don't have to be, uh, have been a part of this community for a long time. You may have just walked in the doors for the first time this morning and you don't know anything about this community and you're not sure, I don't, I don't know if I have permission, I don't know who the cool people are in this church, or you know, I don't know who the in crowd is. Just, don't worry, just, just start reaching out. Just start doing it, okay? And whatever age, whatever background, uh, all of us are going to do this and, and pray the Holy Spirit reveal to each of us how to do it. Uh, and, and do we need to do this? Yes, we, we do. And, you know, we, we have already, I think, a, a marvelous community uh, a, a, a beautiful example of a Christian community, but that doesn't mean God's done with us. Doesn't mean we don't have further, further to go. Um, you know, I still there's a there was a prophecy in our church like I was like a really it was like a decade ago. It was a long time ago, but it still haunts me. And this person who, who moves very powerfully in the prophetic had this this picture of um, we were praying about God bringing down walls between people, walls of separation. And um, this person had a, a picture of that some of the walls in our congregation are actually like tent walls. So not necessarily like these heavy brick walls, but more like a tent wall. And um, the, the problem with a tent wall, if you guys are with me here on, on this, this picture, um, tent walls, um, you can often hear through them. You can often see through them somewhat. Um, they they feel like you're intimate, but actually they're walls nonetheless. They're walls that are still separating us. So even if it feels like, you know, you're, you're here at this church and you're like, oh, I've been here forever and there's no walls, and you know what? There's probably still tent walls up between us. You, you might, they, they might uh, sort of appear to be penetrable, but they're actually not penetrable, and uh, they need to come down Anyway, so I just want to encourage you, we, we do need to make further progress in this. 
Okay, little review from last week. I uh, laid out four foundations for community. Number one, foundation number one, I said community imitates God. And reminded us God himself is actually a community. It sounds really weird, but it's true. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, uh, that is a community. And so when we say, I want to be more like God, I want to get closer to God, I want to be more like him, I want to reflect him more, um, what we're really signing up for is becoming more community-like, like God is community. Okay? So God is a community. Um, and so therefore community imitates... Whoops. I have... Um, second foundation, we become like him only in community. You know, there's this, uh, there's this false picture that's been around the church, unfortunately, since almost the beginning, uh, that you can be just like God if, if, if you can um, just all on your own. Just, it's just you and God. Now, it's really important to emphasize the, the private, personal nature of a, of a relationship with God. That's key. We don't ever want to lose that. But, uh, essentially, God intended us to become more like him in community. And so, uh, even the old uh, you know, medieval and, and ancient monks who would go off and be by, with God for long chunks of time, if they were really walking with God, the Holy Spirit always eventually led them to plug back into uh, community, all right? And if you're an introvert like me and you get your energy and your strength from being alone, that energy and that strength, God gives it to you to pour back into community, all right? Not just so that you can keep being all by yourself, but so that you can go back and contribute to community. So we become like him only in community. Third, oh, keep doing that. Third foundation. We live in him and bear fruit for him only in community. And I reminded us, uh, in the original Greek, when um, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's commanding them to bear fruit for him, for the glory of the Father, he's, he's giving that command. He's telling them as a whole, as a unit, as a group. He's not just telling individuals, John, you bear fruit for me, Peter, you bear fruit for me, um, you know, Andrew, you bear fruit for me. He was telling them as a whole, you. It's a plural you. We don't have a plural you in English anymore. If you've learned Spanish or French, you know, they still use their plural you, so you understand it. Uh, but but that's, in the Greek, that was the plural you. You guys. Or, you know, maybe if you're from the South, you might say, y'all. Y'alls bear fruit for me. All right? Um, uh, or, yeah, I suppose if you're from, I don't know, New Jersey or something, yeah, use guys. Use guys. Use guys bears fruit for me. Uh, that's a bad accent. Sorry. I've offended somebody from New Jersey. Um, foundation number four. We reveal God to the world only in community. Uh, the world wasn't meant to be impressed by individual superstar celebrity Christians. Uh, you know, God will, will use individual Christians for sure, but the thing that moves God intended to, to move you know, the, 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 the hardened person who refuses to believe in God into believing God was seeing the community of Christians working together, loving one another. That, that's meant to be, that's God's intended revelation of himself to 
the world. And so uh, I had this crazy statement here. It's actually quoted from, uh, he gets to be here this time, Andrew Hill. When he became member a couple weeks ago, he said um, that the church is God's answer to the world. And it sounds so crazy because so often, you know, we're really used to criticizing the church. Even us as Christians, we're used to criticizing the church. The church doesn't do this well enough, and we don't do that, and so this and so that, and blah, 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 blah. You know, we love to criticize our, our you know, church, um, even among Christians. In fact, we, we're often afraid not to criticize the church because if we don't, then the non-Christians are going to think we're unthinking. And Anyway, um, but the church is God's answer to the world. Warts and all, uh, this, this uh, sometimes compromised, sometimes failing, sometimes flagging, sometimes faint-hearted church is God's answer to the world because... It's the church as a whole that reveals God, who is the answer to the world. So the church is God's answer to the world. All right. Well, today, I'm going to move on a little bit. And uh, part two of this message, um, calling it uh, the roots of withdrawal. The roots of withdrawal. And what I mean by this is that there's all kinds of reasons we have to hold community at arm's length, to stay distant from community. Uh, and, you know, I, I could, I mean, this could be a book. There's so many reasons. And uh, probably several of you, you know, you might email me later in the week and, you know, say like, Andrew, you didn't tell, you didn't pinpoint my route of withdrawal. Let me tell you about that. Um, you know, you might. It's okay if you do. But I, could, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, of course, cover all the roots of withdrawal. There's too many of them. So I kind of, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to focus on the three biggies, three biggies that include lots of other reasons we withdraw. Um, root number one is injustice and violation. When community or other people in community actually violates us in some way or commits some, perpetrates some injustice against us. And if you've been a part of any community ever, whether it's a small family unit, whether it's a, a whole nation, whether it's the church, if you've been a part of a community, you've been violated against somehow, some way. And uh, so the solution you're going to have to stay tuned until next week uh, because this, this topic was, was, uh, is kind of too big uh, to, to cover um, as, as a part of a message. So next week, uh, I'm going to, to share specifically what, how do we deal with it, how do we come back, how do we stay plugged in, how do we follow Jesus in community when we've been violated against or some just injustice has been perpetrated against us. Uh, so stay tuned until next week for that one, and please pray for me for that one. That's the one I, I feel the most insecure about, uh, about sharing, and um, I would love you to pray for me about that. So, and pray for yourself, too. Okay, root number two, apathy. Now, you might think, that's kind of dumb. That's, duh, apathy. Well, apathy, you know, um, literally means, it's, uh, you know, from a Greek word, a lack of feeling or indifference towards God and his church, comes from A, which means not, and then pathos, which means feeling, so not feeling, 
not feeling anything towards God, not feeling anything towards his uh, church. And, you know, we've, we've all been there, I think, um, of having seasons of not really feeling it for God, not really feeling much for God. I, I remember being sort of uh, scandalized almost or horrified. I, I was a new Christian, and, and the first few months I was just brimming with enthusiasm and excitement about this new faith, and, and then the excitement started to ebb away, and I was like, well, where, where did it go? And then it made me wonder, like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not a real Christian. Or, um, but, but most people, if you've been in community for a while, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've had this, this sense of, of uh, apathy at, at different seasons. It's probably come back several different times to you. Well, um, I, I, I want to sort of tackle this idea of, of apathy. I, I want you to ask yourself um, two, two questions. All right, two questions. Now, um, all right, I'll, I'll ask this first one. Uh, some of you are going to feel, um, I know you're going to feel mad at me if, when I ask this, but, but I'm going to ask it anyway. It's worth asking. Um, have I been born again? Have I been born again? Now, the reason I, I'm asking this, the reason I want us to ask this, it's a fair question because according to Scripture, if you've been born again, what, what that means, that doesn't, just, that doesn't mean you just had an experience or, or you had a, a warm fuzzy once. To, to be born again means that there are new desires living inside of you that didn't live inside of you before. There, there is a... Um, in fact, they're not just any desires. They're, they're God's desires. To be born again means God's own spirit comes and lives inside of you, and actually, God's desire is actually what's going on inside of you, all right? And uh, that, that is essentially what it means to be a new creation, is to have God's own desire inside of you. Now, at first, it's just in seed form, and you can barely even feel it. Um, and, but, but slowly, if you keep walking with God that seed of God's desire grows and grows and grows and grows. And uh, eventually, um, it, it overtakes everything. Now, uh, everybody, even those who've been born again, have gone through seasons where you're not feeling the desire at all. And that's just honest. It's just, that's just the case. So, so I, I ask this question not to like, you know, you've been walking with the Lord for 50 years, and I don't want you to go back and be like, oh my goodness, I'm not a real Christian. I'm, I'm, I don't want you to, to do that, but, but it's a fair question to ask if you've been, not, not just through a long season of not desiring God, but if you've, if you've been, if, if, if you just plain don't even desire God, and may, maybe you've been going to church or connected to church, uh, or, or you know, you've grown up in church, you do the church culture thing, but you, you, you just, there's just, the desire for God just isn't there. It's a fair question to ask. Have I been born again? Because the, 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 the desires of God will be living in you. And you know what, you guys? Do you, know, do you know what God desires? God the Father desires God the Son. He looks at God the Son and he is just head over heels in love with his own Son. So if you've been born again and the Spirit of God lives in you, then... God the Father's desires for the Son are 
are inside of you, pumping you with life, animating you. All right? And you, you know what God, the Son, loves and desires? He loves and desires his Father. And, and, and if, you have, if you've been born again and the Spirit of God is living in you, then the, then, then the desires of Jesus, the very things that Jesus likes and is attracted to and loves, that's actually inside of you, pumping you full of, of life and energy and animating you. And, and if, you're, if you keep walking with God, that's, those desires are just going to grow and grow and grow. And, and guess what? This is where the church part comes in. God the Father loves his son so much, he wants to give his son the most beautiful, radiant bride possible. And, and that's, the, that's the church. And so, if God the Spirit lives, God's Holy Spirit lives in you, that means that, um, that you've got the Father's desire to bring the Son and the Bride together. All right? That's inside of you if you've been born again. And, and likewise, the Son loves the Father so much that he'll, he lays down his life to cleanse and perfect a beautiful bride. Uh, and, and so if, if you've been born again, that's actually living inside of you. Okay? So it's a fair question to ask. Um, I, I don't mean to trouble you unnecessarily, but it's a fair question to ask. Um, question number, oh yeah, and then just a reminder, I, I had this verse up here last week. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone, and sisters, anyone who does not love remains in death. That's that, that, that new love for the brethren, for the sisters, for the church, that's in you if you've passed from life to death. Okay. Uh, Question number two. Have I made Jesus my treasure? Have I made him my treasure? Now, the reason I bring this up is because uh, if if we treasure Jesus, then we're going to treasure the same things he treasures. Okay, if we, if we really see Jesus as our ultimate good, our treasure, then we are going to like the same things that he likes. Again, that desire is in you if you've been born again. Okay, and Jesus treasures his bride, treasures his church so deeply, so wonderfully, he laid his own life down for her. And so if, you, if we treasure Jesus, then we're going to treasure what he treasures. Uh, another reason I bring this up is because if something's your treasure, you are going to persevere through whatever stands in your way of your treasure, between you and your treasure. Okay? So I'll just take a, an example. If, if, if you are, are, uh, if you are um, a greedy, covetous person and all you want is money, I know nobody here is like that, but if you were, all right, you, you would let nothing stand in the way between you and that treasure money, right? You wouldn't let time stand in the way. You wouldn't let sleep stand in the way. You wouldn't let your spouse stand in the way. You wouldn't let family members stand in the way. You wouldn't let, uh, you wouldn't let um, all the sacrifices involved stand in the way between you and your treasure money. You would pursue that treasure no matter what stands in the way. Okay, And if Jesus is your treasure, and therefore his church is your treasure also, his bride is your treasure, 
you will not let anything stand in the way between you and, 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 and the church. You won't let anything stand in the way between you and the community of God. You are going to, you know, people are going to hurt you. People are going to violate you. People are, um, you're going to have bad experiences in community. Hard things are going to happen. But if it's your treasure, you're going to keep pursuing it. You're going to keep going after it. You're going you're gonna to get knocked down by how hard it is to be in community. And, but it's your treasure. So you're going to get back up and you're going to keep going after it. Okay? You will pers- if, if it, whatever your true treasure is, nothing will stop you from getting it, if it's your true treasure. Okay? If Jesus' own community is your treasure, nothing is going to stand between you and that treasure. All right. And? Well, uh, verse, um, to remind us, if anyone says, I love God, in other words, Jesus is my treasure, yet hates his brother... He is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. See how God's put those two things together. It's so much that you can't separate them. You can't pull them apart. You can't say, you can't claim, well, I'm just, it's just me and Jesus, and oh, it's so wonderful, and I love it, I'm just loving it, I'm just being, just, we're just sailing along, and it's so beautiful, and, and then turn around and be nasty and cranky and rude to your brother or sister. It, those, they just don't go together. The, if you turn around and do that to your sibling in Christ, that's, that's a sure sign that all this stuff with Jesus just wasn't even real. So, uh, and I, I brought this quote. Um, from uh, something I've, I'd been reading for uh, seminary last week. I want to remind us of this. And, and this, isn't, this guy isn't making this up. This is, he's summarizing 2,000 years of Christian teaching. This is what the church has been teaching for 2,000 years. The more perfected in love the saint becomes, the greater the identification with the church. The closer the union with God, the stronger the bond with Christ's body. Sainthood is perfected in communion with others, never apart from it. All right? So, so when you get to that, the greater the identification. But, but the church, they're like full of weird people. Or, oh, but there's a bunch of geeks and they're nerds. And like, oh, but so-and-so, they're so awkward. And, and oh, but they hurt me last week. And I, and I, you know what? Again, if, if Jesus is our treasure, and therefore his church, his bride is our treasure, we're going to stop at nothing keep loving this broken warts and all church. Okay, the third root is something I've heard called the orphan spirit. Um, I had a message about this a couple years ago, and uh, this is basically, what, what, what is the orphan spirit? You can probably tell just by the name but um, I've, this definition here, I wrote a sneaking suspicion that I am rejected. A sneaking suspicion that I am rejected. Now, the reason I say sneaking suspicion is because there may or may not be evidence, real evidence, that you are rejected by others. Nevertheless, you feel rejected. Okay? You guys with me? If, if, if you're having a hard time relating, 
think back to middle school. Think back to junior high. Okay? That's all you got to do. Um, it's a sneaking suspicion that I am rejected, whether there's evidence or not. All right? Just a couple uh, points about this. It's often, I call it the orphan spirit, or other people call it the orphan spirit because it's an, it's an orphan's mentality that I am rejected and rejectable. It's a well-known phenomenon that um, people who have been orphans, even if they've been adopted into loving, wonderful families, still have this nagging feeling of being an or- orphan that kind of haunts them. Some, most of the time it's kind of suppressed under the surface. Uh, they don't even realize it's there. But there's this sense that I've been abandoned, I'm an orphan, uh, and, and it, and it kind of leaks up, uh, bursts out at strange, unpredictable times. Uh, and, and even, and it, it sometimes follows people into adulthood. They may have been, um, they, they may have been adopted as, as a very young child or a baby, and yet, in spite of that, as, as an adult, there's still this sense that I'm, I've, I've been abandoned, somebody abandoned me at some point, I'm rejectable, and it kind of haunts them. It's sort of this mentality, it kind of take control. And, and uh, usually, if, 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 if this is a dominant part of, your, of, of how you think and see life, usually all of life gives you plenty of evidence that this is a correct suspicion. You know, it might be a subtle uh, snub, snub here, or what looks like a snub. It might be, you know, somebody didn't give you that uh, phone call back. Somebody didn't uh, email you back. It might be a sideways glance that uh, the other person may have meant nothing by it, but it, it feels to you like rejection. Uh, it might be, um, you know, somebody just forgot to smile. It, it might be a coworker or a classmate, you know, forgot to say hello to you one morning. Uh, there's all kinds of things, but it, in your mind, it feels like here's more evidence that I am rejected or I am rejectable. Um, and it's, it's sort of a, it's like an interpretive lens by, by which you view life. You guys all know what I mean by that. Some, sometimes you can get your, your glasses uh, tinted a certain way and then, and then life kind of looks that color or that shade. You look around and it sort of looks that way to you. Uh, this orphan spirit can be uh, an, a way you interpret all of your life. And, you know, there's the result of this is often, the, often what we, one of the things we do if we have this is we, ha- we do this preemptive rejection. You guys all know what I mean by preemptive? Heard of like the Iraq War, we heard about like preemptive strikes. So preemptive rejection that is, there, there's, there's active ways to preemptively reject. You know, before they reject you, you're going to blow up at them. You're going you're gonna to have a flare-up of anger. You're going to get cranky with them, kind of to put them at, at arm's length and, and keep them off of you and, and, and get annoyed at them. So, so that's, uh, that's sort of an active way to preemptively reject. There's also a passive way of preemptively rejecting where you just sort of subtly withdraw. You know, someone says, oh... How you doing? Oh, are, are you okay? And and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm. you know, that sort of subtle, sometimes not so subtle, passive way of withdrawing. And and you know, it's it's really, I, I hate to just call it out like this, but it, this is this is kind of what it is. And I know because I do this. I just I just so you know, I'm I'm a I'm a carrier of the virus myself, and and a perpetrator of it. Uh, 
but sometimes it's, it's like fishing for compliments, uh, sort of like, um, you know, someone says, oh, that was really great, and you say, oh, no, 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 it's horrible. And, and, and you do that, not because you really think it's horrible, but because you want them to say, oh, no, no, it really was great. And, and, and you're like, oh, no, 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 it's horrible. And inside you're going, yes, give him the praise. Yes, come on. Um, that's fishing for compliments. That's kind of like what we do with, uh, if, if we have this orphan mentality, is you know, we, we sort of withdraw, and what we hope is people are going to just come running after us. we like, oh, no, 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 come on back, please. Oh, please come back. And, and, and you're like, nope, nope, I'm just going just gonna to go home. And, and inside, you're like, come on, keep asking, keep asking, keep asking, okay? And, and, and I just, I've got to call it out, um, uh, it, 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 that's wrong. That's wrong, and, and we've got to stop it. We've got to stop it. Um, you, you know what, people actually, yeah, if, if, you, if you've got this, and, and all of life, feels like it's a confirmation that you really are rejectable and, and you're, you're rejected, um, and, and then you sort of withdraw, and, and you're sort of hoping that your, rejection, your preemptive rejection vibes, your silent, unspoken, preemptive rejection vibes are going out, and, and they're, they're kind of waking people up to try to run after you. It, it actually does the opposite. People feel your rejection vibes, and they actually want to reject you. That, sound, that sounds awful. But it's actually, it's actually true. They, they're like, I don't want to go near that person because they are a hidden minefield. They are, uh, if, if, if I get close to that person, that's a, it's like kicking a hidden hornet's nest. And uh, I, I don't do that. That's danger. And so people stay away from you if you're sending off the preemptive rejection vibes. Um, people are afraid to be held hostage to you when you're sending off the vibes because nobody wants to be held hostage. Uh, you know, we've probably all had experiences where somebody, you know, where, where, where we sort of drawn into somebody's rejection stuff, and they kind of have us hooked, and then they, they don't let us go. It really is like being held hostage, and nobody wants it. So people just kind of stay at a distance, all right? And this, it's, I, it, okay, I'll just, I'll just say it. it we need to repent. We need to repent of holding people hostage with our rejection stuff. We, we need to. And, and instead of seeing ourselves as, I'm, I'm the victim, I've always been rejected. Guess what? We need to repent of our own preemptive rejection and our own sense that, that this, this lie that we've believed that um, nobody loves me Everybody hates me. Guess I'll go eat worms. We, we need to re- repent of that, all right? And, and if you're like, but God, how do I repent of that? I just, I can't get past this. And um, I'm sorry I didn't warn anybody. We're, we're going to have a little altar call. I, I would like in a minute, as I wrap up, I'd like prayer people and elders and others who feel so led um, to come up to the, the front, and, 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 and we're going to have some time while the worship goes on. We're going to have some time of People are going to pray for you if you feel like you need someone to pray about this rejection spirit. And, and I do say spirit because even though it's a mentality, demons love this stuff. Demons love, they, they see somebody with this mentality and they just flock to it like a vulture flocks to a, a carcass. Demons love people who feel rejected because it's like they just feed off that stuff. <clears throat> um, uh, but the, the, do, you, do you know what the antidote to that is, the solution to that? The solution is to accept by faith 
the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. Okay, what is the spirit of adoption? It says in Scripture, it proclaims in Scripture to people... Remember, first century church that first read the Bible, they didn't, under, they, they didn't get community either. They had poor examples of community themselves. It wasn't natural to them. Paul writes this to the Romans. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Other translations say the spirit of adoption. By him we cry, Abba, Father. You guys have probably, most of you probably heard this for hundreds of years, or no one's that old. I'm sorry. Most of you have heard this your whole lives. Abba, ancient Hebrew, means daddy. Perfect day to even talk about this Father's Day. I, I didn't do this on purpose, but daddy. You, we get to actually call our Heavenly Father, not just some distant, transcendent uh, being. We get to actually call him daddy. And it's his own spirit of adoption by which we can have the confidence to call him daddy. Um, uh, Paul didn't just write it in one place. He wrote it in another place, two other places actually. And he wrote to the Galatians, God sent his son that we might receive the full rights or adoption of sons. Not second class sons, not, well, here's my biological son and then here's my adopted. I don't even know what you want to call him. No, no. Full rights of sons and daughters. Full rights. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, or Daddy. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And I know if you've lived as a slave, if you've walked as a slave, it, you, it's hard to shake the feeling of a slave. It take, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes you've got to walk in it for a while. But God wants us to walk in the spirit of adoption as his confident children who, for whom the blood of Jesus Christ has sealed once and for all all questions, all doubts. Am I really a son? Am I really a daughter? Am I, am I, I don't know. I'm, I, I kind of feel more like a slave. The blood of Jesus has completely, totally wiped away all questions. It is for all of his children. It is for all of us, the spirit of adoption. So I would like 